Let's pray together, and then we're going to get right into the growth track tonight. Father, we just thank you for your blessing on the Word of God. Thank you for changing us, rearranging us, renewing our minds. And Lord, I pray that tonight there is a special grace on us to understand, Lord, our shape. That is what you have gifted us to do individually. I pray that, Lord, the spirit of revelation will be here tonight. The great teacher of the church, the Holy Spirit of God, will open our eyes and our ears and our understanding so that we can grasp what God has laid his hand on us to do. And I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Will you pray, Lord, or pray, church, Lord, speak to my heart tonight. And I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, you look good in church tonight. Amen. Amen. Now tonight, uh, first of all, how many of you do not have a manual? Anybody that does not have a manual? You're going to, a, one of these. You're going to have to, if you don't have, you don't, there's a lot of them. Okay, guys, where are they? Ushers? Where's Valerie? Are you sure we're out? I don't know what to say or do. Okay, well, look on with somebody, I guess. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. So get real close to somebody and look over their shoulder. Those of you that have one, how many need a pen? Are we out of pens too? Please tell me no. All right. Well, you're on your own tonight, church. All right. We're going to be starting on page 58. I love dogs. You know that I love dogs. I have two dogs. They're my buddies. One is easier to get along with than the other. One of them is so lovable. You, if you look at him, you're, you're going to love him. He has one of those faces. The other one was a rescue from the pound, and she was abused. And so I'm having to teach her to not be afraid and to work with me and and so on and so forth. But here's what either one of them cannot tell you. Well, let me tell you what neither one of them are ever thinking. They never stop and think, why am I here? Okay? Here's... Here's what they do. They live to eat, and they live to sleep, and they live to go to the backyard and do what they do. And that's all they do. All right? Now, I love them because when I come home, they act like it's the second coming of Jesus Christ every time. You know, they're up on me and, and, you know, licking me and thrilled to see me and bouncing up and down. I love that. But here's the deal. God only made us out of all the creation to be able to ask ourselves this question, why am I here? Nothing else is going to do it. Birds don't do it. Animals don't do it. The fishes of the sea don't do it. Caterpillars don't do it. Nothing God made can ask that question but you. Why am I here? Now, you ought to be asking that, and I think it's one of the great questions uh, of life. Matter of fact, If you live your life out without ever knowing your why, then for me, your life uh, is sad. Because God made us for a purpose. And when we understand our purpose, we understand our why. And I don't know about you, but when I understood my why, it, it cranked my chain. I'm telling you, it got me moving. It motivated me. We need to understand that evolution has not deposited us on the earth. Because if evolution is the reason we're here, there's no why. Because there is no purpose. But if God made you and designed you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist wrote, then there you are here for a purpose, and that purpose is your why. And I think the whole world wants to know their why. But, see, we train people in college to understand how. How to do a thing. How to be a CPA. How to be a businessman how to teach, whatever. It's great to know how to do something, but to me, you ought to know why you're doing it. 
Why? Now, when it comes to church, we need to understand not just how to get to church and sit in a chair, but why are we here? Why are we here? Why are you here? And, and any saved child of God needs to be asking God, and we're going to look into it tonight, not only why did you save me, or I know that I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, but, but why are you keeping me here? Why am I on earth? Why haven't you taken me home? If God didn't have a purpose for us, the minute we got saved, we would all be taken home. But God has a purpose for us. And so we're going to look tonight at ministry because we're going to see that God's why over every one of you is to minister in his name. Now, the purpose of this class, God has given pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of ministry. We're on page 58, by the way, page 58. God has given pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of ministry so the body of Christ may be built up. Why did he give pastors and teachers? To prepare God's people, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you, for what? Works of ministry. So here we're seeing that that's part of our why. That's God's purpose for me. Now, the Bible says that the pastors in any local church are the administrators. They're the administrators. The people are the ministers. Now, let me ask you a question. When you were raised in church, is that the way it was? No, you hired a preacher, and he went through the pulpit committee and the process And when the preacher was hired, he did all the work in the ministry. And that's why a lot of them drop out early or have breakdowns. Because they're expected to do all the ministry. But isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't teach that about local church? The Bible teaches that the pastors are the administrators, the equippers, and the people are the ministers. Put that in your faith pipe and smoke it. Okay? I really said that. It's been a long day. Now, now the the principle undergirding this class is my ministry is determined by my makeup. And I don't mean your mascara. I mean how God put you together. When God, or what God made me to be, is determined by what he intends for me to do. I will understand the purpose I was created for when I understand the kind of person I am. This is the secret of knowing God's will for my life. It's a powerful truth. God is consistent in his plan for each of our lives. He would not give us inborn talents and temperaments, spiritual gifts, and all sorts of life experiences, and then not use them. By reviewing and studying these factors, we can discover the ministry God has for us, the unique way that God intends for us to serve him. So, the two results of discovering the ministry that you and I have been shaped for are fruitfulness and fulfillment. If you move in and operate in what God has made you to do, you will be fruitful. And you will also be fulfilled. Now, here uh, the focus of this class. At Turning Point Church, we focus on an individual approach to ministry rather than an institutional approach. We're going to focus on five personal factors that have combined to shape the real you. By identifying the specific traits you possess in each of these areas, the ministry God has designed you for will become crystal clear. So here's the goal of this class, that I will discover my unique design. And we're using a little acronym there, and it's SHAPE. And I'll tell you what each one of the letters stands for in just a moment. But that's what we're going to learn tonight, our SHAPE for ministry and commit to developing and using. So it's that I will discover my unique SHAPE for ministry and commit to developing and using my God-given gifts and abilities in serving God and others through my church family. So that's the first thing. The goal of this class, that's number one. 
Number two, the goal of this class is that I will select and begin serving in the ministry of my church that which best expresses what God wants me to be. So select, serving, expresses. All right? Third, well, it goes on a little bit. What the Bible says about ministry. What is ministry? What is ministry? If you say you're ministering, what is it? It's from a Greek word, diakonos. And what do you think we get from that Greek word? Deacon. Diakonos, deacon. What does it mean? It just simply means to serve. So ministry means to serve. It doesn't mean to be served. It means to serve. Ministry is using whatever God has given me to serve him and the needs of others. So we minister in three directions, and only three. You can't minister anywhere outside of these three. We minister to the Lord in worship, and that's in Acts 13 too. All of these are in Acts 13 too. We minister to the Lord in worship. We just minister to the Lord tonight. Don't you love ministering to the Lord in worship? Amen. Amen. We minister to the Lord in worship. Second, we minister to other believers. I've given my life to do that. Since I was 19, I've done that. To other believers. And then we minister to the lost world. You can't minister to anything else. That's it. The Lord in worship, other believers, and the lost world. Now, that's the three directions we minister in. But we minister to three areas of need. First, to people's physical needs. We're going to be meeting tomorrow, myself and the elders, on how to begin feeding people now that we have a kitchen. And so we're going to be uh, ministering to people's physical needs. But we also, we also provide clothing. Uh, we, we, we're involved in many ways that a lot of you don't know about unless you ask or you check and see the various ministries we're involved in. But we minister to people's physical needs all the time. Clothing, um, like I said, food. Look what Jesus said. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Whenever you have done this to the least of these, you have done it to me. Everybody say you've done it to him. So isn't it interesting when I feed somebody, I just fed Jesus. Amen? When I clothed somebody, I just clothed Jesus. Jesus said, if as my representative you give even a cup of cold water to a little child, you will surely be rewarded. So we minister to people's physical needs. The second area of need is people's emotional needs. We minister to people's emotional needs. It says, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everybody. Amen? We minister to people's emotional needs. And then third, we minister to people's spiritual needs. It says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's spiritual. Well, I was on the phone last night with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus at all. Well, in fact, they believe Jesus was one of many world religious leaders. And Jesus, Jesus is right there with Buddha and right there with Muhammad and right there with what I was told, masters who are out there right now roaming the world spiritually. It was a real conversation. Let me tell you. And... I was very aware that I was ministering to their spiritual need because they were so confused about who Jesus was and is. And so it was probably an hour and a half conversation. I hung up and I said, Jesus, help me and help our world. The stuff that's out there now that people are being taught about Jesus in our nation that is just Star Trek, Star Wars, bizarre, interplanetary, from Mars somewhere. No, I, it, you know where it's from? Hell. But anyway, we, we minister to people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Christ, counseling and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everybody mature in Christ. Amen? Amen. 
Now, we're learning our why tonight, so stay with it. The purpose of ministry. What is the purpose of ministry? There are different kinds of service to God, but it's the same Lord we're all serving. The Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. All of you together are the one body of Christ, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Everybody say, I'm necessary. I'm I'm needed. I'm I'm wanted. Now, do you know that if you don't... I'm not laying heavy on you. I'm not guilt tripping you. But but if you don't eventually contribute what God has given you to contribute to the church, we're going to be the losers because we need you. We need your gift. We need your anointing. We need your blessing. We need what God has put in you. And it's that old parable of the talents that we all know about. Uh, The one that was given five talents invested the talents. The one that was given two talents invested them and got more back. The master got a return on his investment. But the one that was given one talent buried it because he feared the master. His concept of the master ruined his ability to invest what God had given to him. And Jesus called him a wicked and a lazy servant when he returned because he didn't invest what God gave him. So we're called to invest what God has given. So on page 60, God wants to use me to build up his body. He wants to use you to build up his body. The priority of ministry. Let's look at why I should be interested. Why should I even care? Well, here's why. Number one, I've been created for ministry. That's a revelation for some of you. You look in the mirror and you can't believe that, but you have been created for ministry. For we are God's workmanship. That that means you. We're all God's workmanship. Why? Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do before God made the world. He ordained that you would be involved in good works. Can you believe that? So I've been created for ministry. Not only that, I've been saved for ministry. It is he who saved us and chose us for what, everybody? So more than heaven, right? I've been saved for more than heaven. I've been saved for his holy work. I've been chosen to do his holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. Wow, that's a mind bender. Number three, I've been called into ministry. All of us. It says, God in his grace shows me even before I was born and called me to serve him. Now, you may not be called to full-time ministry like me. where That's all I do. Um, However, in another way, you are called to full-time ministry. It may not be your vocation, like it's mine, but you're called to full-time ministry. When you walk out the door in the morning, you're a minister. There's a ministry on you. You've been called to reach, teach, preach, counsel, reach out, pray, advise, love, communicate the truth of Christ. Okay? You've been called into ministry. Ephesians 4.1 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then 1 Peter, you can't get beyond this one. You've been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were less than nothing, but now you are God's own. And then in verse 5, he says, you will serve as holy priests. So I want us to say this together. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. But I really am who God says I am. Give the Lord a hand of praise for that. That's true. Amen. So let's talk about a life-changing truth, my primary identity. I am a minister of Jesus Christ. Now, four, here's why I should be interested in ministry. I have been gifted for ministry. I've been created, I've been saved, I've been called, and I have been gifted 
for ministry. God has given each of you, every one of you, some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kind of blessings. 1 Peter 4.10 So I've been gifted. You've been gifted. We've all been gifted. Number five, why should I be interested in ministry? Because I've been authorized for ministry. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Because I have all authority, I'm authorizing you, Jesus said, to go into all the world. So we're created for ministry, saved for it, called for it, gifted for it, authorized for it. And number six, I'm commanded to minister. I'm commanded to minister. Matthew 20, verse 28. Your attitude must be like my own. For I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve. So we should have the same attitude Jesus had. We are commanded to minister. Paul said, Colossians 4, 17, to Archippus, take heed to the ministry you've received from the Lord and fulfill it. I can't tell you how often that verse has haunted me in a good way. Have you ever had a verse haunt you? Kind of follow you around, talk to you all the time. Hello, everybody, come on, raise your hand. Have you ever had a verse haunt you? All right? I've heard this so many times. Tell Jeff, take heed to the ministry you've received from the Lord and be sure you fulfill it. Be sure you do. Because when we go to heaven, all that's going to matter is, did we serve him? Did we obey him? Were we submitted to him? Did we bear fruit for him? He doesn't care how much money we make. He doesn't care what we drive. He doesn't care about how big the house is. What he's going to want to know is, did you do what I gifted you to do? And that's when we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm about to make you ruler over much. Enter the joy of your Lord. Amen. So I'm created for it, saved for it, called for it, gifted for it, authorized for it, commanded for it to do it. And number seven, I'm to be prepared for ministry. Prepared. And that's where I come in. The elders of our church come in. It's where your local church comes in. God gave pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of ministry. So that the body of Christ may be built up. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm preparing you. That's what I'm doing right now. All right? Number eight, the body of Christ needs my ministry. All of you together are the one body of Christ, and each of you is a separate, necessary part of it. You are necessary. The body of Christ needs your ministry. Now, ministry always functions in the context of, of the local church. Like if, if you have a parachurch ministry, if you're out there and you do something um, that is a ministry, but it's not a local church, like Lisa Schwartz in our church has Crazy Eight Ministry. Here's been my observation, and I've been around a while, and I'm going to tell you this has been my observation, that if you have a parachurch ministry and you're not going out under the covering of a local church, you don't do as well. I believe even a parachurch ministry ought to be sent out or under the covering of a local church. I was never, never, I've never ministered that I was not, that I didn't go out under the covering of a church. Never. I wasn't always a senior pastor. I traveled the country. Um, man, there was one year I traveled, I was always on a jet. I traveled the country. I did an extended revival. And I'm talking like, it was around three months, an extended revival in Chicago, uh, where every night, I mean, every night I was preaching. I went to churches all over America, um, good, bad, and ugly. Some of them were great. Some of them were God's frozen chosen, and I had, had to just get up there and, you know. So, but I'm just saying, I went everywhere. But you know what? I went out having been sent by a local covering. I really believe in that. I believe the Bible teaches it. Amen. Ministry always functions in the context of the local church. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord to send workers out into his harvest field. And those workers that go into the harvest field go out from a local church. That's God's plan. 
Now, number nine, I'm accountable for my ministry. Look at Romans 14, 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. To me, that's a scary verse. Amen? So you're going to give an account, I'm going to give an account of myself to God. How did I do with what he gave me? Uh, I know what he gave me. I know what he gifted me to do. Did I use it? Did I minister? Did I serve him? Because we're all going to give an account. Now, we're not going to go to hell. But we will either get or lose rewards. Read 1 Corinthians 3. The judgment seat of Christ is not the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is found in the latter end of Revelations, and that is where every person who ever rejected Christ will meet God and the book of life will be opened. And when their name is not in it, they will be cast from the presence of God into the lake of fire. I didn't say that. Jesus did. The Bible does. That's not the judgment you and I will go to. We will go to the judgment seat of Christ as described in 1 Corinthians 3, where our works will be tried by fire. I've always felt that the fire was the the fiery testing and judgment of God on the work. And it will either survive the fire as gold, silver, and precious stones, or it will be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. Now, Paul wrote, if your works will be burnt, are burned up, it will mean that they were not Christ-glorifying, Jesus-centered, fruit-bearing works. And they are burned up. And he said, you will suffer loss, yet you will still be saved, yet so as by fire. But you get in by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin. You get in, but you lose the reward rewards that God would have given you. So when people say to me, well, it doesn't, you know, if I just live for myself, and, but I'm saved, am I okay? Well, you'll get to heaven, but you will lose all the reward you could have had. And remember, those rewards are, are eternal. Okay? So I'm, I'm accountable for my ministry. And that leads to number 10, what I just said. I will be rewarded for my ministry. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a, what everyone, reward. And then here's Jesus saying what I just quoted. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And isn't that a door-opening statement? That tells me that in the world to come, Jesus is going to give blessed responsibilities to his children based on how they live for him in this life. You've been faithful over a little, your time on earth. I'm going to make you ruler over much, your eternity in glory. Now, I don't know what all that means, but I know it means enough to make me want to serve the Lord and rack up all the rewards I can get. Listen, I'm greedy for the rewards of God. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm greedy for it. I want them. I'm coveting them. And I'm going for them. Amen. Now, let's look at some action steps. It's very clear we ought to be interested in ministry. But let's look at some action steps now. How can I prepare myself for ministry? Number one, dedicate your body. God can't use you till he has you. I urge you, the Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I urge you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's where all ministry begins. That's where all usefulness begins. It's where all fruit bearing begins. You've got to offer yourself. Romans 12.1. And then Romans 12.2. Eliminate common distractions. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
So common distractions would be the world is always calling to you. Always. Have you noticed that? Today, the world called to you. The world tried to get your attention. The world tried to teach you something, seduce you into believing something that's not biblical. The world tempted you. The world called to you. He's saying, don't allow the distractions of the world to keep you and refuse to be conformed to it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means getting into the Bible every day. Now, three, evaluate your strength. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance. Boy, do I know some people that need to hear that one. I read the other day, boy, I wish I had it with me. There's something like 7 billion people on the planet now. I read this huge number, 7 billion X million X thousand people on the planet. And you read that number, and then you think of the people who believe that they are irreplaceable. (laughs) The last thing you are is irreplaceable. If there's 7 billion people on the planet, there's somebody who can take your place. Amen? So don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance. Don't be a legend in your own mind. But try to have, or have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you. Wow, that's great advice. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But think soberly. Because God gave you grace. The only reason you're here is God graced you. All right? And, and the gifts you have, you didn't come up with them. A gift was given to you. So how can you be proud about something that you, were, that you received? You can't be proud about it. You didn't come up with it. God gave it to you. So don't strut. You're not a peacock. You're you're a humble beast of burden. You are carrying Jesus on your back into a needy world. Amen? So evaluate your strength. Cooperate with other believers. Step four. Dedicate your body. Eliminate distractions. Evaluate your strength and cooperate with other believers. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members don't have all the same functions... So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all others. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I need you. Turn to the other side and say, I got to have you. Not in a weird way. Not in a weird way. (laughs) That could get me in trouble. Hey, baby, I got to have you. No, no, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. But here's the deal. I have my gift. I have a gift, and I'm I'm a single gifted guy. God gifted me with the word. But I'm going to tell you, never could I do this church without a myriad of other people who have brought their gifts in to help me. I'm going to tell you, this woman here, I could never do what I do without that woman right there. Couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. She is my right arm in that office. I, I, I can't even bear the thought of her not being in that office. I, I, gotta, I, I need her gift. Her gift is not mine, and she'll be the first to amen that. Don't amen it too loud. But her gift is not mine. Mine is not hers. But then all, all the various people that help in this church, this church would fall apart without many, many people who contribute their gift to this church. I could never do it alone. It's not a one-man show, not by any stretch. Okay? We need each other. So the implications from Paul's anatomy lesson about the body of Christ or the church being a body is every member is a minister in Christ's body. Every member has a different function. Every member's ministry is important. And every member belongs to the others. Amen. Now there's one last step, and that's activate your gift. Activate your gift. Activate it. Use it or lose it. It's true. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, showing mercy. These are all the various gifts that are in this room right now. Amen? Now, let's come down to your shape. How has God shaped you and me? Job said in Job 10, verse 8, your hands formed and shaped me. Isn't that a powerful thought? 
God has been molding and shaping you for ministry since you were born. I want us to read that out loud together. And I want you to tell me, if you believe that, I want you to amen it as soon as we're done reading it. If you believe it about you. Ready? God has been molding and shaping you for ministry since you were born. Do you believe that about you? In fact, God started uniquely shaping you even before you were born. David said in Psalms 139, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. You were there while I was being formed. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Mm. I could just stop right there and say, let's just go home and think about that one. So everybody say with me, I'm on God's calendar. Now, number one, here's what we learned from this. I was shaped for a purpose. I was shaped for a purpose. Two, I am unique. Everybody married in here? Say amen. I know that's true of my spouse. They're unique. Right? I'm unique. Third, I am wonderfully complex. Shaped and unique and wonderfully complex. Romans 9, what right do you have a human being to cross-examine God? The pot has no right to look in the mirror and say, why have you made me this way? Now, that was the Jeff Wickwire revised paraphrase version. But you have no right to look in the mirror and say, why did you make me like this? Okay? That's what he's saying. The pot has no right to say to the potter, why did you make me this shape? (laughs) A potter can do what he likes with the clay. Amen. Why did you make me tall, short, skinny, lanky? Why did you give me blue eyes instead of brown? Why did you not make me more handsome or more pretty in in the world's eyes? It doesn't matter what the world thinks. God made you. So you look in the mirror and say, God did a good job. Now, I just lost a lot of you right there. Because some of you heartily disagree with that statement. But, But here we go. In ministry, function follows form. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Ministry is determined by several factors. Different types of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit gives them. There are different ways of serving, but the same Lord is served. There are different abilities to perform service, but the same God gives ability to everyone for their service. My shape will determine my ministry. So what am I gifted to do? S, spiritual gifts. There's the S of shape, spiritual gifts gifts. Each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So what am I gifted to do? The next one, what do I love to do? And that's, underneath that is H, heart. What is your heart? Boy, this is a big one. Look what it says. Pay careful attention to this. God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. Now, here's the the message behind that. One of the ways to figure out what God has gifted you to do is what do you want to do? What burns in you to do it when it comes to spiritual things? When God called me to preach, I never heard a voice from heaven. I, I never had a cloud formation in the sky. I never had some big dream. I began to burn on the inside to communicate the word of God. It just began to eat me alive. It consumed me. It consumed me. It became what I like to call a divine want-to-do. And the divine want-to-do eventually morphed into a divine gotta-do. So that was the heart. That's the way God touched my heart. But for every gift that God gives his people, you will find 
that what you're naturally drawn to, what naturally grabs your interest, is a real indicator of what God has called you to contribute to the body of Christ. Look what it says in Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you, inspiring both the will, that's the want to do, and the deed for his own chosen purpose. So notice the order. God gives you first the desire, and then once the desire is there, you begin doing it. Now then we come to the A. What natural talents and skills do I have? That's abilities. Abilities. There are different abilities to perform service. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. I, God, have given him skill, ability, and knowledge and all kinds of crafts. Guarantee you, whatever God's called you to do, you've got an ability to do it. He doesn't tell, tell a bird to fly without giving him wings. Amen? He doesn't tell a fish to swim without giving him fins. Amen? He doesn't call you to do something you can't do. But he will give you an ability, and that ability is another indicator of what he's gifted you to do. You know, from what time I was a little kid, I was a word person. Always. Um, my dad used to say to me, Jeff, you need to be a lawyer. because You can talk your way out of anything. <laughs> he used to say that to me. But here's the deal. See, that was an early indicator of what God gifted me to do and what he put his spirit on me to do when I got saved. So he's not going to call me to preach if I can't preach. He's not going to kill me with that and vex you with that. <laughs> right? I mean, I've listened to some people that I guarantee you they were not called to preach. Okay? Our competence comes from God. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Now, where does my personality best suit me to serve? Because the P is personality. So we have S, spiritual gifts. H, heart. A, abilities. P, personality. No one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he's really like except, except that person himself. So you're, God gave you a personality, and that personality suits you for the work that he's called you to do. Amen? All right, so then the last letter in shape is experience, experience, experience. What spiritual experiences have you had? There has been enough time for you to be teachers, but you still need to be taught, wrote the writer of Hebrews. You are without any experience in the matter of right and wrong. So what spiritual experiences have you had? Then what painful experiences have you had? Sometimes, it says in Proverbs 20, verse 30, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. How many of you can say amen to that? Some of you, it took God, God tried everything, and nothing worked, and then he let you hurt a little bit, and then you changed. David said, before I was afflicted, I drifted. Before I was afflicted, I drifted. But now that I've been afflicted, I'm keeping your ways. You got my attention, Lord, because nobody likes to hurt. God helps us in our troubles, 2 Corinthians 1, 4. So we're able to help others who have all kinds of troubles using the same help that we ourselves have received from God. What educational experiences have I had? Always remember what you have learned, Proverbs 4.13. Your education is your life. Guard it well. So we're not just talking about school here. But what have you learned from, from life? What has life taught you? The Bible talks about the reproofs of life. That is when life itself corrects you. Life itself spanks you and gives you a hard lesson. What'd you learn? All right? That becomes part of your ministry. And then what ministry experiences have you had? It says, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. So let's sum it up. Your ministry will be most effective and fulfilling when you are using your gifts and abilities in the area of your heart's desire in a way that best expresses your personality and your experience. Amen. So say with me, success, success. 
is doing what God made me to do. That's success. That is success. You know, you take, what's his name? Bezos, who's over Amazon. Is that how you say his name? Bezos? Bezos? He makes billions a day. But I'm going to tell you something. If Jeff Bezos does not do the will of God, I'm going to say it. He's a failure. But if you barely make enough to get by, it's not about money. But you're doing what God has made you to do, you're successful. Now, how's Paul, how Paul's ministry was shaped? Let's look at Paul. Just as an example. Let's look at his shape. Paul's spiritual gifts. First, his gifts. And of this gospel, I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher. Those were his gifts. All of them verbal. All of them. A preacher, apostle, and teacher. So that was his gift. Now let's look at his heart. My constant ambition has been to preach the gospel where the name of Christ was previously unknown and to avoid building on another man's foundation. So his ambition, his heart, his passion was to preach the gospel. That was his divine want to do. Galatians 2.8, for God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Acts 20.24, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work of as assigned me by the Lord Jesus. If I'm doing the work assigned me by Jesus, then life has meaning. But if I'm not, life is worthless. Let's look at his ability. That's his, his first, his spiritual gift, to preach. His heart, his passion was to communicate. His ability, it says in Acts 18.2, Paul went to see them and stayed and worked with them because he earned his living by making tents. Just as they did. He debated in the synagogues every Sabbath, trying to convince both Jews and Gentiles. So notice, he had an ability. He had an ability that helped him finance his own ministry. Amen? He tells in another place, he said, I could have lived off of you folks' money, but I don't, I'm not going to do that. I choose to not do that. I'm going to pay my own way. So that nobody can say I'm in it for the money. I could say a couple of things there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite my tongue about wealthy preachers. But I'm biting my tongue. The ones who say they ought to have Rolls Royces. But I'm biting my tongue. Because I don't think we ought to give the world the impression that we're in it for the money. And I mean big money. Not a decent living. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean the big, wealthy, crazy money. I don't think you ought to give the world that impression. That's just me. I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. So we see his spiritual gifts, preacher, apostle, teacher. His heart to preach the gospel where other people had not. His ability to make tents. He was a businessman. And now let's look at his personality. For you have heard of my past. I persecuted the church with fanatical zeal and did my best to destroy it. I was ahead of my contemporaries in the Jewish religion and had a boundless enthusiasm. So what was his personality? Whatever he did, he did it with all his might. He, if he was in it, he was in it 110%. That was his personality. And he sure had some experiences watching Stephen be stoned, his conversion on the Damascus Road, Three years of maturing in Arabia, special vision from God. And boy, did he have some painful experiences. In prison, many times, near death often, whipped five times with 39 lashes by the Jews. Can you even imagine that? Five times he received the 39 lashes Jesus received once. If you took off his shirt and you looked at his back, it looked like a road map. It was so scarred. Five times. 
And we, we think we've got it tough if we get a flat on the way to work. In my travels, I've been in danger from floods, robbers, enemies, wild animals, false friends. I've served long hours without sleep or food or shelter or even clothing. So he had painful experiences. And then his educational experience, he, he trained at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, the greatest teacher of his day. So there you go. That was Paul's shape. Now the next page, let's move along quickly. Page 66, we're almost done. Turning Point Church's ministry discovery process. Here it is. Attend discovering my ministry. You're doing that tonight. And then spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experience. There's your shape. Commitment to the ministry covenant, which we're going to do in a little bit and then complete your personal profile. Now, how do you identify your unique shape? Unwrapping your gift. Unwrapping your gift. That'll give you an overview of spiritual gifts and help you identify which ones you may have been given by God. Unwrap your gift. Then monitor your heartbeat. And that means it'll help you clarify what you really love to do. I want you to really think about this, church. Like when you hear of a ministry, what ministry grabs your attention and makes you say, wow, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to feed the hungry. I want to pray for the sick. I want to, um, I don't know, I want to go out and, and witness for Jesus. I want to, uh, I want to usher, I want to help people find a chair. I want to greet people at the door because I've got a sunshiny kind of personality. See, that's what we want greeters to do. We, we don't want people who look like they just lost their best friend standing at the door greeting people. Really good to have you today. I'm glad you're glad to be here because I'm not. We, we don't want that. We want sunshiny people, right? But that's a gift. So monitor your heartbeat. Think about it. And then apply your abilities. That'll help you appreciate the nat natural talents and vocational skills you have. In other words, get out there and try something. Get out there and try what you think you've been gifted to do. Try it. Plug your personality. That means it'll help you see how your God-given temperament can best be used in ministry. So look at your personality and go, okay, here's where I'm going to... I'm going to suggest I minister in the church because it's my personality. Pastoring is my personality. I'm going to tell you it is. I grew up with three little sisters. I stuck up for them, beat people up for them. I was the firstborn and only boy. I had three little sisters. And, and early on, I learned to watch over people under me. Early on, be protective be concerned for them, counsel them, even though most of the time they didn't want my counsel. But in other words, early on. So it was very natural for me to step into a pastoral situation. Okay? Examine your experiences. Take a look at what you've experienced. It will help you review your history and discover how God has prepared you for a unique ministry. Now, what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. And we're going to go through this pretty quickly, but we can do it. What about what the Bible says about spiritual gifts? Now, about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be what, everybody? Ignorant. A spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer at their conversion to be used to minister to others and therefore build up the body of Christ. Now, we have one page left and we're done. So here's, let's go. Ten truths. Only believers have spiritual gifts. From the Holy Spirit. Because there's people out there that they got a spirit working in them, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Only believers have spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. Number two, every Christian has at least one gift. Third, nobody receives all the gifts. Though some people think they have them all, they don't. Number four, no single gift is given to everyone. No single gift is given to everyone. He said, do all speak with tongues? Clearly, it's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. I'm just saying. 
Um, Five, you can't give yourself a spiritual gift. You can't give yourself a spiritual gift. Like, you may want to prophesy to people, but if you haven't been given the spiritual gift, you can't. Okay? Six, the Holy Spirit decides what gifts I get. Hallelujah. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit decided right then and there what gift to give you. Number seven, the gifts I'm given are permanent. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Number eight, I am to develop the gifts God gives me. You've got to work it. You've got to work them. Whatever that gift is God gave you, you've got to work it. Number nine, it's a sin to waste the gifts God gave me. Number 10, using my gift glorifies God and grows me. That's that's why it's so sad when some people don't get into the ministry God's called them to and use their gift because a part of them never grows. Okay? Next page, we're almost done. Not for my benefit. A gift is not given for my benefit, but for others. I never receive a gift for my benefit but for others. And then number 12, to produce maturity and stability in our church family. So when everybody, let's just read it, it was he who gave gave gifts to men to build up the body of Christ so we shall all come together to that oneness in our faith and become mature. Then we shall no longer be children. Look what happens when everybody contributes. We shall no longer be children. Carried by the waves and blown about by every shifting wind. Now the cautions about spiritual gifts, I'm going to read them quickly. Don't confuse gifts with natural talents. Don't confuse gifts with the fruit of the Spirit. Don't confuse gifts with Christian roles. Be aware of the tendency of expecting others to serve the way you do. Uh, we, we tend to, when, when we have a gift, everybody else ought to operate the way we do. You can't do that. Number five, don't, make, don't feel that my gift makes me superior to others. Realize that using my gifts without love is worthless. Recognize I have both a primary and a secondary ministry in my church. Really important. My primary ministry commitment should be in the area where I am gifted. My secondary ministry includes... In, Serving in any other area of the body where I am needed. So don't, you know, here you are, you're in turning point, and we have a terrible need for ushers right now. We need new ushers. That's true. I'm saying it. We need new ushers. When we went to three services, we we got usher thin. Now, we need new ushers. Now, if you're called to teach, don't say, well, I'm called to teach. I cannot condescend to be an usher. You can serve where you're needed. Amen. Nothing is beneath you. Right? You could even clean a bathroom. So could I. Nothing is beneath you. Come on. So, yes, you might have your primary gift, and we all do. But if we need you to do something else, don't look at us like a calf stares at a new gate. Like, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm a prophet. Oh, well, Mr. Prophet, get in there and usher All right? (laughs) Three ways God wants you to use your gifts, and then we're done at the bottom of this page. Through an ongoing ministry, through short-term projects, through spontaneous situations. Let's read together the bottom line. It's easier to discover your gift through ministry than to discover your ministry through your gift. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? So we're taking, we're taking, uh, we're filling out cards for ushering tonight. <laughs> Amen. Where can they go if they want to be an usher? Valerie will stand right here. If you, if you will be an usher, then come down and tell Valerie, you're anointed and appointed. God, ooh, I feel the anointing right now. It's an usher anointing. No. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing tonight. 
This has been a lot of information, Lord, but thank you that every person here has a shape. Every person here has a gift. And we are to work it, use it, sow it. So, Lord, help us to do it. And can you lift your hands to the Lord Jesus right now? Say, Jesus, help me to get into the game, to sow my gift, to work it, to contribute to the maturity of this body. In Jesus' name.